Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. I know I could be talking about some really important headlines this week. There's Turkey's invasion of Syria, protests in Haiti and Hong Kong, religious freedom crackdown in China, and of course the mysterious murder of Joshua Brown in the Amber Geiger case. But as is often the case, content, whether written or spoken, flows out of real life. And real life in the Oshman household over the past couple weeks and past couple months has been pretty dog-focused. So this episode is about dogs, or it really could be expanded to being about all pets. We've been all about dogs lately on both ends of the life spectrum. We recently bred our yellow lab, and she had a litter of puppies a couple months ago. And we just watched in awe as a family. It was such a great experience over her birth and her motherhood and how she knew how to break the puppies out of the birth sack and cut the umbilical cord with her teeth and to nurse them. And we were amazed as their little eyes opened after a couple weeks and their ears. It was really a joyous experience to share with one another and with all of our friends. And then recently, our eight-year-old lab started to slow down. She's been running more slowly. She's been eating slowly. And recently, she developed a distended belly. So we've been taking her to the vet a lot and she's been having various tests. And we don't know what's wrong, but obviously something significant's wrong, even though she's not very old. And so we've also been pondering just the sickness of pets and even the end of life of pets. Not that she's going to die right away. We certainly hope not, but we've, we've seen the striking beginning of life of a dog as well as the suffering in the life of a dog. So we've been pondering dogs, like why have dogs? What's the purpose of pets? Why breed dogs? How far should we go in protecting and preserving the life of our dog? How far should we go in caring for dogs? We, my husband and my kids and I, we've just been talking through these things. What does the Bible say about dogs? What does it say about pets and animals? What are the blessings of having a pet? Are are there dangers? Are there guidelines? How should we be thinking about as a family that has two dogs that we love? I think we're especially asking these questions because it feels like our culture has gone extremely overboard in the area of pets and animals in general. So in America, unborn animals are more protected than unborn humans. It's illegal to destroy the egg of a bald eagle or the egg of a sea turtle, but it's totally legal to abort your baby up until 40 weeks of gestation in many places in the United States. And as missionaries, we've heard more than once over the past few years, this striking statistic, Americans spend more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than they do supporting missions, specifically reaching the unreached. That's from Andrew Scott, the president of Operation Mobilization in the United States. So Americans value pet costumes for Halloween more than they value sharing the gospel with the unreached overseas. So we've observed in general, there's just this this sort of out of proportion value placed on animals. And we've also observed that it seems like young adults and young couples are choosing to have fur babies more than they are to having real babies. Now, I know some godly young couples that have pets, and I'm not saying that that is wrong. I'm certainly not condemning that by any means. I know some young couples that would love to birth human babies, and they haven't yet been able to, and they do have a dog in the meantime. So there's nothing categorically wrong with that. But we do have to ask the question, why are so many young adults choosing to have pets rather than to have children. Indeed, three-fourths of Americans in their 30s own dogs. 75% of Americans in their 30s own dogs, and 50% own cats. Well, if you compare that to the general population, only half of the general population owns dogs, and just a third of the general population owns cats. So there is this huge increase in pet ownership. It's not just our imagination, it's real. And you might see that when you pass by the park, the dog parks are generally full, and human parks are not. 
Jean Twenge, a psychology professor at San Diego State University, authored a book called Generation Me, and she says this, quote, pets are becoming a replacement for children. They're less expensive. You can get one even if you're not ready to live with someone or get married, and they can still provide companionship. Also, millennials are twice as likely as baby boomers to buy clothing for their pets. The pet pampering industry amounted to $11 billion last year, and it includes things like pet strollers, pet slings, even this crazy object that I saw yesterday. It's a rubber tongue that you can put in your mouth so that you can lick your cat. Um, It just seems like young people are maybe channeling their urge for children towards animals instead of actually having babies. And it's laughable, but even sometimes a little bit disturbing. In fact, we're not replacing our population. I've talked about this before on all things. We're not replacing our population with birth quick enough. It's already having significant effects on our economy and the labor force that's available to care for our elderly is shrinking and it's going to be a crisis soon. So on the one hand, it can be easy as a Christian to say, you know what? Animals are frivolous. Pets are frivolous. The time and the money that people spend on them is wasteful. It's shameful. I've heard Christians cast off dog ownership as silly and even sinful. And it's true. Pets can be idols. We can spend too much of our time and our attention and our affection and our money on our pets. But really, that's true about anything that can be an idol. We could say that about sports or coffee or travel or technology or even gaining knowledge, like even being environmentally active or studying things theologically. You know, we can do any, even make ministry or work at church or missions into an idol. All good things can be made idol made into an idol. If they are misplaced or if they inhibit our ability to love God and to love others, if those things are required for our happiness or our contentment, if they're the source of our identity, if they're the source of our hopes and our longings, then they have been, they have moved from being a good thing into being the thing, into being an idol. So we've been wrestling as a family with our dog ownership over these past weeks and months. We've been saying, are these dogs idols? Do they have too much of our affections? Or are these creatures simply good gifts from our God in heaven and we are enjoying them in their rightful position within creation? We're asking ourselves, what do we really think and what does the Bible say? So in this good discussion, we have to say, first and foremost, humans are of more value than animals. Dogs absolutely have value. They are part of his good, God's good creation. We should love them and we should care for them, but their value is less than people. It's less than my daughters. It's less than my husband. It's less than my neighbors. This might seem obvious, but we have to say it. For example, Back in 2016, Nicholas Kristof, who's a writer for the New York Times, who I highly admire, wrote an opinion piece. He had just lost his dog, the family golden retriever, and he shared that on social media. He marveled at the outpouring of kindness and sympathy that he received when his dog died. Well, when the dog died in 2016, what had been going on for five years in Syria was that President Bashar al-Assad had been massacring his people. So we had five years of the massacre of Syrians at the hands of their president at the same time as Christoph's dog passed away. And Christoph wrote in an um, editorial this, quote, President Obama's passivity on Syria was his worst mistake, a shadow over his legacy. And I agree. And Christoph received a ton of pushback for that opinion. His readers engaged him. They passionately disagreed with his him, and they attacked him on all points of view on that. So there was this juxtaposition between the response that his readers gave him over the death of his dog and then the callous response to the loss of life in Syria. And Christoph said this, quote, but in fact, as even dogs know, a human is a human. I wonder what would happen if Aleppo were full of golden retrievers. If we could see barrel bombs maiming helpless, innocent puppies, would we still harden our hearts and otherize the victims? Would we still say, it's an Arab problem. Let the Arabs solve it. 
We do have to ask ourselves as a society, as individuals, as families, do we value dogs more than people? It's weird and it should go without saying, but it really doesn't. If we want to have a biblical conversation about pets, we have to start with stating that human lives are worth more than the lives of animals. It's not a popular opinion out in in culture and out in society, but it is the biblical opinion. So I remember back in seminary learning the word, the Hebrew word, nefesh. It's translated into English as living thing or as soul. So in the Old Testament, things with breath and blood are distinguished as nephesh. They are living things. Animals do live in a way that plants don't. They live in a way like, like humans do. They have breath and blood like humans do. But this word nephesh does not mean soul like an image of God's soul. We know that our souls are different. We know that we are unique because we alone were made in the image of God. Humans are unique. We hold a special place in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we know that God made us in his image to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. We know that it says God made us in his image, male and female, he created us. So that's only us. That's only humans. We've been granted dominion over creation. Only we share the attributes of our creator. That's what it means to be in his image. Only we can be loving and just and caring and creative. So humans have this unique ability, these unique attributes, including the ability to reason, which is unlike animals. In Psalm 32, 9, it says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle. So in other words, animals can be trained, but they don't have a soul, a brain, a mind like we do. We have special understanding. Humans were created to have dominion over all animals, not the other way around. Genesis chapter nine says that animals should be food for Noah and his offspring. Humans aren't meant to be food for animals. We know that would be super disturbing. There's something terribly wrong if humans are being fed to animals, but animals are fed to humans. And of course, we know that Jesus came as a God man, not as a God dog. God entered our world with human flesh as fully man. His redemption and his rescue mission was for the souls of people. So any conversation about pets that Christians have has to establish first that animals or pets or dogs are valuable, but it's not the same value as humans. Luke 12 says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So humans have a unique and special and preeminent value. But animals are indeed valuable. They are creatures of God. Genesis chapter one again says, God created the animals from the beasts of the earth to the creeping insects. Scripture even tells us that the breath of life resides in them. That's in Genesis seven. That's the nephesh. They are valuable. They were created by God in heaven. And God cares about animals. We see that when he saved two of every kind from the flood on Noah's ark, he preserved this very good part of his creation. And God even cares about like the sparrow, for example, Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Imagine that God knows about every single bird that dies. We know that God is glorified by animals. Just consider the diversity of the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and insects and cheetahs and monkeys and elephants and just even your family dog. Psalm Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So even our animals praise and glorify God. Even though they don't do so with words, they bring glory and praise to God with the way that he made them. 
I love the ending of Job um, chapter 38 and the beginning of Job 39. It talks about how God even provides for animals, that he appointed the place that they would live, providing for their homes and their food. It says, can you, and this is a paraphrase, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the the does? Who has let the wild donkey go free? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? So in other words, it's God that does that. It's God who made the animals. It's God who's glorified by the animals. It's God who provides for them. And we really saw this when our dog gave birth. It was so cool to see that she was born with the instinct to care for them right as she birthed them. Um, And that's just that we see the hand of God caring for his animals in the way that he made them in the way that they care for others. We didn't teach her to do that. God made her that way. Matthew 6, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. So the God cares for animals. They belong to him. So I know that all pet owners, especially dog owners, I don't know for sure about cat owners. I did own cats as a child, but I don't now as an adult, but I know pet owners would agree that dogs, especially pets, enrich our lives. Dogs have this sweet character. They're kind, they're affectionate. They give us unconditional attention and care. They don't have any ill motives. They're not like selfish or cruel or trying to get something out of us. They just love to be with us. They bring us comfort and they bring us cuddles and they just enrich our lives. They they do point us to our God. They point us to the creator. They help us enjoy our creator in the sweet way that they behave. So it's good and right for us to give animals the care and the respect that they deserve. But that is care and respect that must be in proportion to which they were created. Dogs are such good gifts, but they are not the gift. They are not humans. They deserve the love and the care and protection in proportion to that which they were created. So I think it's helpful to per, to apply that ethic or that standard. And that's just kind of this idea of proportion. So as my family thinks about how we are going to care for our dog who is currently sick, we want to care for her and protect her and love her within the proportion that she was created. So this dog is a good gift and she was made by the Lord and we love her. She has a unique life. She's not a houseplant. She's part of our household and God loves her. Not the same way that he loves human, but humans, but he does love her. God thinks his creation is very good. He thinks our chocolate lab is very good and so do we. So we want to rightly steward her life. We know that the greatest commands that God has given us are that we must love him, must we must love God, and we must love others. So we've got to make sure, as we think about how to care for our pets, that the Lord himself is preeminent in our lives. It's got to be God himself who, where we draw our strength and our hope and our identity. He's got to be who we live for. So we have to ask, are we prioritizing him and are we prioritizing people? Does the care of our pets um, go behind the care of humans? Are we tangibly loving other people first? Our family, our extended family, our neighbors, our church, our friends, missionaries. Are we engaged in missions? Do we care about the lost as much as we care about our pets? And it's not that we can't have pets. We can, we should. But do the right things in our household have priority? For example, would you stop supporting missionaries or stop giving to your church so that you can pay for a surgery for your dog? And I'm not applying that as a standard to every monthly budget of every household always, but it's important that we say, in principle, do I give more sacrificially to the kingdom of God and the mission of God than I do to my pet? Again, pets deserve love and care, but it's within the proportion that's been granted to them by their creator. 
So that's what we're applying as we think about how to care for our dogs. And lastly, of course, you probably wondered this when you started this episode, when we face the death of our pets, will we see them in heaven? Will our dogs go to heaven? Well, let me first just say that experiencing the sickness of a pet is hard. The sickness of our pets is the result of the fall, Genesis chapter three, when the fall happened, that's when sickness and death entered in and corrupted creation. It wasn't supposed to be like this. So our poor pets, you know, even the fall wasn't their fault. And yet they endure sickness and they endure death. They endure the consequences of sin, even though they don't sin. And my dog Piper, the chocolate lab, her sickness has been heartbreaking. My husband has been overseas for the last couple of weeks. So I've been dealing with it by myself and with my girls. And he's sending me these heartbreaking texts in the middle of the night. Please keep my dog alive until I come home and asking for pictures of her and how she's doing. And he, he wants to see her again. And my girls are scared. Mom, what will we do if she needs surgery? Mom, what will we do if she dies? And I'm constantly reminding myself and my kids, God will help us. God knows. God cares. He is not a God who is far off. He sees us and he draws near to us when we are sad. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit, Psalm 34. So he is a God who cares for us. That's what I keep reminding my children. So there will be animals in heaven for sure. Scripture is clear. There will be animals in heaven. Listen to Isaiah, the words of Isaiah 11. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with a young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play upon the hole of the cobra, and the weaned, the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So there's a ton of different animals listed just in this little description of heaven. The diversity of creation, the diversity of animals brings God glory. They're going to be in heaven. Heaven will certainly contain image bearers, meaning humans, angels, of course, not fallen angels and all sorts of animals, but will there be our specific family pets raised from the dead and in heaven? We don't know. Scripture is silent here and we should not make it say what it doesn't say. What we do know is that our father in heaven is the giver of good gifts. He's generous and he's trustworthy and he's kind. We know his character. We can trust him. I've heard Bible scholars much smarter than me say, you know, because heaven will be a place of total joy and total happiness. If your family dog needs to be there to accomplish that, then yes, maybe your pet will be in heaven. And I think that's a helpful way to maybe tell our children. But we should always be reminding our kids of our God's good character, that he's trustworthy no matter what. We want to point them to the possibility that our pets will be in heaven, but that it's not a promise. I don't think it's ever helpful to stretch the truth or to lie just to comfort our kids. We want even their hope as young people to be placed on what's real and solid and true, not something that we've sort of inferred or we hope for without a promise. We know it's shaky ground to build our faith on anything other than the love of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. We don't want to build our faith or our hope upon a dependence of any good gift. We don't want to put our hope and our faith in any gifts, not our health, not our family, not meaningful careers, not our sweet pets. We want to put all of our hope in our risen God who is kind and trustworthy and came to rescue us. So that's where we are this week in the Ashman home. We are rejoicing in the life of healthy, adorable puppies. We're praying for healing for our dog who's sick. We're asking God to give us wisdom as we move forward. We're asking him to show us how to provide the love and the care for her that she deserves in proportion to the way that he created her. And we're praying that he helps us daily to put our hope in him alone. Our dogs are good gifts and we do so enjoy them without shame, but the giver is the best gift and we want to put our hope in him more than anything else. 
Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things are created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Thank you.